It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hope you're having a wonderful Friday. It's Outkick the Culture. Podcast back on the air every Friday. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for being here. I'm Jason Martin, your host on Twitter at jmartoutkick. Game of Thrones finale stands. By the time you're listening to this, who knows? Could be 24 hours away. Could have already happened if you're listening on Monday or Sunday night for some reason. Or maybe it's 48 hours away. Of course, the big fight tomorrow as well. If you want to call it a fight or you want to call it an exhibition or a circus or a farce or whatever. A lot of folks are going to be watching that, of course. We're not really going to discuss that on this particular show, but we're definitely going to talk about Game of Thrones, and we're going to do it in the way that we usually do here, which is not really breaking down all the big points of each episode. By this point, you've read the articles you need to read. You've heard from the people you need to hear from, whether it's Clay and his report or The Ringer or whoever it is that you go to, or maybe you go to a collection of folks. By this point, you kind of have heard all that you need to hear. I'll give you a few thoughts, but I generally talk about Thrones in a little bit of a different manner. So we'll talk about that. Also, this week on Netflix, something hit that I think you guys should pay attention to. The Good Place. First season aired on NBC last fall. I thought it was one of the most pleasant surprises of an otherwise kind of shaky fall season, but a really good show. I'm going to talk about that and try to convince you to watch it. Also, the Duplass Brothers. Mark and Jay, their anthology series, Room 104 for HBO, which is four episodes in. The fifth one airs tonight as I'm recording this on Friday. It's a Friday night show, 1130 Eastern time, so a little bit later. That show's been renewed for a second season, and I'm going to try and not necessarily convince you to watch it, but tell you why it might be something you'd want to check out. Definitely, I don't think for everybody, but those that really kind of get into the obscure and the weird are going to dig it. Also, a very unique concept that I'm behind, even though I, I'm sure there are people out there that are bigger fans of that show uh, than me. No question about that. Also, I said we were going to talk about BoJack Horseman Season 1 today. That was the homework I gave you last week. I'm going to pull that back one more week, so it's going to give you one more week to do that. Next week, we're going to spend a lot of time on BoJack Horseman and Narcos. Season 3 of Narcos is what I'm going to be watching all weekend long for a review next week at Outkick.com. BoJack Season 4 as well I'll be watching for a review that will go up the following week likely at Outkick.com in advance of that premiere. And then I don't know that I'm going to do episodic write-ups, but I might do them in chunks like I'll do the first four, the next four, and the last four or whatever uh, to get it done that way. So we're going to give you another week on BoJack Horseman and we're going to talk about The Center, Jessica Beale's new show on USA. It's an eight-part event. It's halfway home right now. I'm going to compare it to a couple of things that you may have seen. And I'm going to give her a lot of props on her performance and just the show as a whole and what it means maybe for USA. So a lot to get to in that front. Also, maybe a little music at the end of the show. But we do have to start with Game of Thrones, the biggest show in the universe, everyone with an opinion. It's the water cooler show maybe of all time because everything is about theories. Like, yes, you can point to Lost or you can point to things like that. But Game of Thrones isn't usually... Because so much of it is not really a mystery. It's who's going to die, when they're going to die, where they're going to go, who's going to be on the Iron Throne, who's going to be in charge of the North, those kinds of things. They're more predictions, whereas Lost became such an exploratory situation where you didn't know what was going to happen. So you could look at anything and try to read much into it. And they're starting to try and do that with Game of Thrones as well, but... This episode was maligned in a different way. The episode that aired this past Sunday, Beyond the Wall, the one that leaked, as a matter of fact, which we discussed in great detail last week on this very podcast. This episode was maligned not because of anything other than the plotting in general, but I'm going to actually attack it from a different perspective. Now, from a setting and just kind of a magnanimous, very almost supernaturally beautiful setting at different times. The scenery, the way that everything was 
laid out in the episode from an aesthetic standpoint was gorgeous. The stuff beyond the wall, just the effects, the way everything was shot, very grand in scope. And that's where Game of Thrones has largely gone as of late. I feel like as Game of Thrones has continued to move, it has moved in the direction of trying to be a Lord of the Rings film as opposed to maybe what it was when it first started. And it has lent itself to a couple of different things. When I said on Twitter, at Jmart Outkick, on Monday, after I was able to see the episode, didn't see it live because I had to cover SummerSlam on Sunday night, and I did not watch the leak uh, that most of you may have, I said, you know, there are going to be some problems I want to talk about on Friday, but it was certainly grandeur at its finest in a lot of respects. And people replied to that and said, you know, you can really tell that they're finally beyond the, beyond the books now with some of the pitfalls that they're falling into. And so I thought about that a little bit. And yes, the travel has long been a problem on Game of Thrones because the show makes it appear like things are happening a lot faster than they probably would be able to. Yes, there was stuff that came out about how fast ravens can fly and trying to sort of explain it, but even the director of the episode came out and said, yeah, we kind of had to do some things in this episode to make it work within the confines of television. And that's why I've never really bitched and moaned too much about the fast travel that makes it feel like you're in an RPG. A good friend of mine who's a comedian down in South Carolina, Andrew Van, actually pointed that out on Twitter, and it's something I thought about as well. It's almost like you're playing Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto, and you've put a waypoint out, and you've actually set up a safe house, and you can just travel back and forth through that. Tomb Raider, another example of that from recent video gaming. They have to do that because you have a certain number of episodes, and you can't really make time feel like time in a one-hour constraint. Like, if it takes you weeks to get from here to there, if it's 1,300 miles, I saw one estimate that the top of the wall to King's Landing or the bottom part of the map is somewhere in the vicinity of 1,300 miles. I have no idea if that's really true. I haven't really taken the time to look at it that deeply. But that's a long time, especially considering you're not flying Boats don't move that fast. Obviously, walking and horses and things like that, it's going to take a lot of time to get places. But you can't really connote that two months have gone by or two weeks. So you kind of have to tell this seamless story and just sort of suspend your disbelief. And you have to do that in fiction anyway. So that's why I haven't really, like I said, bitched or whined about it too much because it's just sort of accepted that that's the way it is with Game of Thrones. You'll hear a conversation and then you'll see something happen that would probably take weeks to actually occur and then you'll go back to the people having the original conversation and they're still talking about the same thing and time hasn't passed and then that person arrives, for example, or that person is close to arriving. You have to do it that way to tell a seamless story on TV. So I'm okay with that. This week was certainly more egregious in that way because it just didn't wash in a lot bigger of a way than it has before to the point where Alan Taylor did come out and say, look, we had to do what we had to do. And he said that that was just the only way they were going to be able to get around it. He also dispelled another myth because again, anything that happens in the show, people are going to try and magnify into trying to read into the future. The event that happened this week was John's sword, which Mormont had given to him, opens its eyes or kind of starts to shine blue a little bit when John comes out of the water. And Alan Taylor said, well, I'm going to have to go back and look at that because that was not intentional. So there were a lot of questions that were being asked about whether or not warging was something that Jon Snow could do in addition to what Bran could do, or maybe it was actually Bran's eye and the sword, or maybe it's the new Lightbringer, or who knows. But Alan Taylor says that's absolutely not true. There's a lot of theories that surround Game of Thrones. But without getting too deep into them, one of them being Bran's warging and Bran actually being the Night King, and that he's actually trying not to turn people into White Walkers. You have to go real deep into the mythology to try and get to that point. I'm just kind of watching it and letting them tell their story without trying to read too much into everything or looking too deeply because, you know, as fun as it is, again, there's been so much stuff that's happened in these six and a half seasons. I just can't remember it all, and I know that there's something that happened a few years ago that's going to 
dispel what I believe is going to happen now. So my theory remains the same, that Game of Thrones likely ends in a generational situation where it all moves in cycles, the same way society does, that there's going to be another crew of White Walkers and it's probably going to be a lot of folks that we have seen both die, like Ned Stark, for example, or Ramsey Bolton even, or whoever these people might have been, Catelyn Stark, Rob, not just all the Starks. I know I just mentioned a bunch of Starks, but you know Danny's brother and any number of other folks, Tywin Lannister. But we're also going to see the people that are still alive turned at some point as well, and we're going to see maybe a new crop of humans that would then be there if there was a future that we would get to see. I feel like that is one of, that's the one I'm going with right now, and maybe it will change. But the bigger problem, let's look past the plotting, because that's been discussed to death about Beyond the Wall in the lead up to the Dragon and the Wolf, which is the season finale that we are on Sunday night. Let's not talk about that, and let's talk about tent poles and big moments. This is where this particular episode of Game of Thrones, to me, was an example of a show that has fallen into the trap of big moments without build and without time to breathe afterwards. And again, I'm going to lean on my professional wrestling expertise as I worked in that industry for a long time. When WCW, when World Championship Wrestling was going down, and I remember hearing Arn Anderson on a shoot interview talking about how annoying it was that we would go from segment to segment and match to backstage and all of these kinds of things without time to actually think about what we had just seen. Let's see a wrestling match, and when that match ends, let's go to the announcers and let's talk about what we just saw. Let's not just immediately cut back to something else and forget about it. it yes, it kind of feels like courts or some kind of website where it just continues to load and you don't have to continue to even scroll down. It'll scroll down for you. You don't have to go to different verticals. It's all on that main page. But the thing about it is you've got to let moments breathe. And Game of Thrones this season, as entertaining as it has been, has been about these larger-than-life sequences where you don't really have that time to breathe unless it's the end of the episode. There were a couple of examples where you almost got it and one where I I would say you did get it in this episode, and that was John and Daenerys on that boat when you saw that romance really bloom for the first time when she was almost overcome with emotion when he opened his eyes and they let that sort of stand there and did not jump around but game of thrones seems to be moving in a direction where it's all about the big moment but the big moment doesn't have the setup to make it quite as big as it would have been because every moment is now big i get that we're trying to tell the end of a story But the reason why Breaking Bad was so effective is you had to watch four or five episodes to lead to something enormous. In Game of Thrones, you're getting enormous, 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 week after week after week after week after week. Episode, and even within the episodes, you're getting four or five enormous moments each. And none of them really, you have the requisite time to sit back, exhale, and consider the ramifications of what just took place. There have been these larger-than-life battles, There have been dragons. There's been the Night King with his spear taking down a dragon. There have been so many moments where in previous seasons of Game of Thrones, it has been very slow in the way it has unfolded. You'll get a moment, and then you'll have two episodes with a lot of dialogue and a lot of exposition. And now, it seems like every week, you're seeing Snow White bite the poisoned apple. That's, you know, I had a friend of mine... He works as a multimedia producer down in Florida, right? And say, is it fair for me to criticize Game of Thrones and say that it's become more fairy tale than I would like? No, it's. I mean, it, yes, it is fair. That's absolutely an accurate critique because, again, what do you remember about the fairy tales? Well, you remember the big moments. You remember the beanstalk. You remember the giant. You remember fee fi fo fum. It's the lack of depth because you're trying to tell such a fast story that it's all about these big moments and these big moments come one after the other after the other and you basically put it together like a puzzle of those four or five big moments and then you have your fairy tale. 
Game of Thrones used to be a show where you would get a lot of dialogue and you would hear a lot of the mythology from these characters and you would see what they did in their downtime. Like, you're not seeing anybody in burlesque houses anymore. You're not seeing anybody with whores anymore. You're not seeing anything that considerably allows you to break from the intensity that just came. And the problem lies with the fact that without having that break, the intensity begins to just beat everything and it all runs together. Like when you stop and think right now, don't look it up. Stop and think about how many big things have happened this season and try to remember them all and then think about how much impact they had to you as a viewer. If it happened at the end, that's different. Because just like you were always taught when you were writing in primary school when they were teaching you how to put together an essay, the two most important parts of any essay are the first thing that you write and the most important thing is the last thing you write. Not just because it comes close to the end so it's easier to remember, but because you're making your final argument. That's like your closing argument in court. The stuff in the middle is, you know, it's tasty part of the sandwich, but it's really the bread. It's the bun that you remember. So if it happened at the end, that's one thing. Because guess what? At the end of an episode, you have plenty of time to decompress. You have a freaking week. So the dragon sequence last week with Danny, you had a week to process that. What happened when Tyrion made the wrong call? And you saw what happened that led to the death of... The woman in Highgarden, the, the the older woman in Highgarden, obviously the head of Highgarden, high priestess there. All of that, like those things happening at the end, have resonance because you had time to actually process what took place. But a lot of the things that are happening within these episodes, 20 minutes in, you're forgetting about. Because you don't have time to actually stop and take inventory of what just took place because something else big is coming. I'm not saying that that is a bad thing, but I'm saying that it is indicative of a show that is coming to the end that still wants to surprise you and ramp up everything. So each episode has been very exciting, but the impact of all of these moments could have been spread out over another three or four years and all of them could have been impactful. So we're getting everything in a truncated, almost a rushed fashion and this week was maybe the biggest example of that rush fashion where many, many, many things were happening. And you did have some moments. You had Jorah talking to John, not being willing to take that sword back and just hearing more about that, even listening to the Hound, having his discussions. There were spots where you did get the old Game of Thrones and you got that humor, but well, you got the humor and you got just the mythology and, and really getting to know these characters. But if you were just watching from this season, I don't think that you would get an accurate representation of what this show is supposed to be. If you remember Pirates of the Caribbean, the first film, Curse of the Black Pearl, there was a lot of talking. There was a lot of exposition between the tent poles that held up the foundation of that movie. And then you went to Dead Man's Chest. And Dead Man's Chest was much more, it felt like a Chris Columbus film or something like that, just in terms of the pacing and the way in which they approached it. It wasn't nearly as much about the story in Dead Man's Chest. It was about the high points. And I think Game of Thrones has kind of moved in that direction. And I think that's given a lot of the, even the more casual fans, a lot to like just because they don't have to think. You don't have to think as hard about Game of Thrones now if you don't want to. You can just watch it. As a matter of fact, if you're able to just shut down your brain and not think about the plotting, you probably thought Sunday's episode was maybe the best in the history of the series because of everything that went down within it. Me, I would just rather them drive at 45 miles per hour than evade police at 110. And we've seen a little bit too much of the latter here in these last few episodes of what has been a really, really entertaining season of Game of Thrones, but it's been less about the drama and more about the shock value of, well, guess what we're about to pull out next. So I don't think it's been necessarily a negative, but I think it's a worthy critique to consider as we go into this 80, it's 79 minutes and 43 seconds is going to be this finale on Sunday. 
and who knows what they're going to do there. Somebody big is going to die. I predicted I thought Jorah would die in the last episode. Penultimate is usually when the big ones happen, especially on Game of Thrones, actually. I saw IGN put in their review that the penultimate episode is the one where generally you see loss. And guess what? We talked about that on this podcast a couple of weeks ago as it related to all of drama, not just Game of Thrones, but Thrones has been known for it. I guess you could say the big loss Sunday was the dragon. Some people say that's the biggest loss in the history of the show. I think it's one of the most necessary things in the history of the show because for the first time, Daenerys Targaryen realizes she's not untouchable. There is a bigger enemy out there. Jon Snow was correct. But further, the dragons do not just make it obvious that she can't be stopped. And that's good. You don't need an unstoppable force. Or we don't need to believe that as viewers. We need to see this as a fight where we don't know exactly where it's going to go. And at the end of the episode when the Night King has the dead dragon pulled out of the icy water and turns that dragon... You know you're going to get Ice Dragon versus Fire Dragon, and it's going to be glorious to behold, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see what Bran's doing. We'll see Arya and Sansa, which has been really entertaining, although this is another sequence where TV doesn't really connote this effectively because you think Arya's being a complete prick right now, but you have to remember, Arya has not seen any of what we've seen Sansa actually go through. Sansa, the Sansa that we met in season one that Arya actually knew, nobody liked that character at all because she was so superficial and into power and control and everything else that she was willing to do whatever it took to be there. But we've seen her go through so many different machinations and growth periods, but Arya hasn't seen it. The show can't really tell us that. You actually have to just figure that out on your own. And Sansa, of course, doesn't know what Arya's been through either. And then there's, of course, the speculation that Arya isn't Arya at all. That she's just a face off of you-know-who from a couple of seasons ago with the black and white door. Or that Arya actually went to King's Landing and sent, quote, no one, unquote, into Winterfell. Who knows? We will see. And then Littlefinger is going to have to play his role. And there's a possibility, I saw this, actually Matt Fowler of IGN mentioned that we could see Mountain versus Hound, brother versus brother, Klegon finally getting after it there. We could see Sir Sandor, Sir Gregor one more time. You do see in the preview for the finale, the big sword in the hand of the Hound. Don't know who he's fighting. That would be a really cool moment to see Hound versus Mountain. Of course, everybody would be pulling for Hound in that case. Hound is one of the most beloved characters on the show. Game of Thrones is still rolling, but this was definitely one of those episodes where you had to suspend disbelief to enjoy it. And I do think it was clearly rushed. Um, The pacing was rushed, and also the big events were rushed to make them more TV-ready. But that's going to happen. So we'll stay with drama. Let's talk about the center. USA Network's eight-episode closed-ended limited event, special event, built on a German book that was pretty well-received. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the author here. Well, maybe I will. Petrohamisfar is how it looks on screen. It's probably not at all how it's pronounced. But the book is about a young mother who stabs somebody beachside in public view, uncontrollably stabs him, kills him, and does not know why. Put in jail, whole nine. Jessica Biel plays the young mother, Cora Tanetti, and the detective that's sort of on her side trying to figure out why she did it, if there was a reason for it, and if maybe... Something in her past had triggered this that needs to be unleashed or uncovered or used in certain fashions or in certain fashions. It's Bill Pullman who plays Detective Harry Ambrose. This show is set in New York. And you know, when I first heard about it, I didn't know what it was going to be exactly. Now, USA has changed. We talked about the blue sky phenomenon weeks ago on this podcast, about what USA used to be 
and then what it became. Suits was kind of where it bridged between what it used to be and what it became. Mr. Robot's when it fully embraced new things. Then came Queen of the South. You've got Damnation coming out in November, obviously, in this Sinner series, which is halfway through its eight-episode run, runs on Wednesday nights. The ratings have actually been good. It started at 1.6. I think one episode, the episode three may have dropped a bit, and then this past week it went up to its highest number yet, I think at 1.67 in terms of a number. So not bad for a show that a lot of people probably didn't know about. Here's Jessica Biel back on television doing maybe the best work of her entire career as Cora Tonetti, because this is a very, very difficult role. It's one of those roles where you have to cry a lot, where you have to make somebody supremely beautiful into someone not as beautiful, and of course with personal demons, and you have to show flashbacks of her childhood and just how bad things were. She was raised by religious fanatics, basically. The kind of fanatics that would find the equivalent of a cosmopolitan under your bed and would assume that that was going to lead to somebody important in their life dying literally and of course she had a sister who was in very very poor health the mother giving birth to both of them the mother sort of believes that Cora's strain is what is causing everything that's happened to the younger daughter like you see all this through flashbacks and then you find out that these people are not perfect the mother is completely crazy the father is actually having an affair with a neighbor. So you're seeing sort of the behind the scenes veneer of what open religion can be when it comes to personal desire and the darkness of humanity and, and things like that. This show is incredibly dark. There is a comparison to be made, actually a couple of different comparisons that you can make with this show. One of them is to HBO's The Night Of, which of course was a remake of the BBC series that came out like a year or two before. But Reese Ahmed, who I think is nominated, definitely nominated, as a matter of fact, for an Emmy this year for his for his portrayal as Nas in A Night Of, he goes to jail quickly after what happens in the first episode. And then you watch kind of what happens to him while he's in jail. That's not the comparison here because what's happening in jail to Jessica Biel's character, to Cora Tonetti, is not the focus. Thank God. This is not about her being tortured or raped or molested or whatever it is that happens to these prisoners in a lot of these shows and probably happens in real life as well. Hopefully I'll never find out. It's not really about that. Like you have seen them take her mattress or whatever out of her bed and she's not interested in making friends. But this is about her internal struggle of trying to find out what actually happened, not knowing whether or not she should just plead guilty or not, and Bill Pullman doing whatever he can, Detective Harry Ambrose to not necessarily free her, but help her in certain ways. But I think the other comparison to the night of is that Bill Pullman's character, Harry Ambrose, believes in Cora in a similar way to John Turturro's character in the night of buying into Nas and trying to find a way for that to, again, not be okay. It's not necessarily condoning it, but explain it. And maybe someone else is really to blame for what has happened to her. So we're halfway home and there's four more episodes. I have not read the book. I have not looked on Wikipedia to find out what happened in the story. I could find out, I guess, exactly how it's going to end, but there's no real fun in that. Just like you don't need to go read Big Little Lies if you're watching it. Just go ahead and watch it at this point. The show is very good. Jessica Beale, as I mentioned, is exquisite in her role. Bill Pullman is very good in his role as well. One portion of his story is sort of strange. And, you know, maybe this is where I diverge from some people. One of the reasons I didn't like Ozark as much as many is because I thought it was overly salacious for no real purpose. That they did things within the show to shock that didn't need to exist. Bill Pullman's Harry Ambrose character has a fetish with a a semi-corpulent dominatrix character outside of his marriage. And he tries to break up with her twice and stick with his wife, and he's unable to do it. And we see him, you know, at her mercy and on his knees and things like that. It's like, do we really need to see that? Probably not, but they do have to fill time. I think a lot of people get into those kinds of things, those side stories. You do want to know about these other characters, and it does inform upon why his marriage is in the situation it's in. It doesn't do much for me. When I see those sequences, it's just like, okay, I mean, I care about Cora's story. 
I care about her husband, Christopher Abbott, who plays May Cincinnati. And Chris Abbott actually surprisingly very good as well, not because Chris Abbott is bad, but because you don't even think about anybody other than this. You figure when you heard about this, this was a vehicle for Jessica Biel. And I'm not entirely saying it's not, but there's more here than meets the eye. And there are more performances that should be mentioned, including Chris Abbott's Mason Tonetti, because he's very good. And he, on the other side, while his wife is in prison, in jail, before if there's going to be a trial or or whatever, he's trying to figure out what caused his wife to do this. And he feels like he's found someone that's to blame, that is so, certainly a person of interest in the entire story. And so he's trying to independently investigate and do what he has to do, even if violence is involved, to get to the root of this entire problem. And he's playing a conflicted husband that's on the outside that actually sat there on that beach and watched his wife stand up out of nowhere, walk over, and just stab this boy in the middle of the situation with another couple and his girlfriend after she was triggered by a song that took her back to the past. The flashbacks are terrifying. The religious side of this and the way they kind of portray the family, certainly not flattering to religion, but there are fanatics out there that are far different than just your me, for example, your everyday Christian. This is, again, an incredibly dark show, a show that I don't know that it would be for everybody, but it is fascinating. It's not a serial killer kind of show. But it is something about the machinations of a killer and what could potentially drive one to that. They involve hypnosis, and that's how she goes into the flashbacks. Right before she ends up stabbing this guy, she's out deep in a lake far past where she's supposed to be, where the line is, and she tries to drown herself and then kind of decides not to do it and then ends up murdering this boy. I say he's boy like he's 10. He's not 10. He's like a... I don't know that he's 18. I'm not exactly sure how old he was. He might have been. He might have actually been like 20 or 21. But that's set up, and that all happens within you know the first 10, 15 minutes of the show, and then the rest of it is trying to unspool this poor woman's life. But it's very good. Strong performances, engaging. You want to see what's coming, and it's been very unpredictable. Again, it might not be if you've read the book, but I imagine most of you have not read the book. So it's very unpredictable. It moves pretty quickly, but it does not feel rushed. It's eight episodes, and you know it's eight episodes. There's not going to be a second year of this. I, you know, I say that, but Big Little Lies was an event based on a book, and because of the way it was received, they're going to do everything they can to make a season two out of it. So could there be a second season of The Center? I guess never say never. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like this is legitimately an eight-episode-and-out kind of deal, eight hours and you're done. But... It's been a pleasant surprise, and it has, again, kind of helped move USA in this different realm where they're trying to be taken seriously like the FXs and AMCs of the world as opposed to being the fun place you can go watch Monk, White Collar, Burn, Notice, Covert Affairs, Fairly Legal, and that crop of shows. And I miss those shows, quite frankly. But I love I love Suits. I'm really enjoying the center. I don't know what the hell damnation is. I haven't looked into it enough, but that ad where the guy just steps out onto his porch and gets shot in the head while the cow is just sitting there watching makes me think it's probably going to be a black comedy, but who knows? I probably need to look into it a little bit more, but sometimes I like being surprised, at least before the screeners come in and before I actually have to watch this stuff and review it. So I just don't know exactly what damnation is going to be, but I know that USA has shifted its model from Blue Sky to whatever the hell it takes to be taken seriously as a network. And the center is helping them. Center's numbers have been strong. It's come around at the right time, right at the end of summer. Now it's going to buttress up against football, but it runs on Wednesday nights after suits. So it's not really going to be dealing even with the Thursday night game, either the NFL or college, as it's got one more month to run. It will end. Final episode will be coming you know about the end of september somewhere in that neighborhood but it's well worth checking out 93 percent on rotten tomatoes it doesn't have a ton of reviews actually i didn't review it in print and i didn't watch the pilot ahead of time nor did i watch it the first week but once the buzz kind of hit me and a couple of critic friends of mine actually said hey look this is actually pretty good then i put it on my radar a little bit faster maybe than i would have otherwise i wasn't sure what it was going to be but it's another example of peak TV, and it's another example of somebody that has star power 
that's able to show up in a vehicle that's actually worth her time or in certain cases his time and make it float from the start. Maybe the first such example, I mean, Glenn Close and what she did on Damages, bringing her clout as an actress, her talent as an actress to the Patty Hughes character and making you care about FX's show maybe faster than you would have otherwise. Kiefer Sutherland on 24. Kiefer had a name, a big name, long before 24. But 24, you paid attention because Kiefer was in it, and then you stuck around when you realized, hell, this is actually a really damn good show. And I think that's what you get with The Center. You may tune in for Jessica Biel, which I tune in for Jessica Biel just like any other red-blooded male. But, you know, I think this speaks to women very effectively. I actually think maybe women are probably bigger fans of The Center than our guys, but it's for everybody. If you like the true crime thing, if you like getting into the psyche of a criminal, if you're not squeamish by... It's pretty it's pretty gruesome at times. And one of the intriguing things is you continually hear Cora try and describe how she knew this person or how she was a heroin addict and this, and then you find out none of it was true, but that she was not lying. Like, she's not making these things up. She actually believes that they are true. She There's like a two-month span of her life that she can't even address. Like, she doesn't even know what happened. And, then of course, the end of this past episode over by a spot that had made sense in one of her hypnosis therapy sessions. Detective Ambrose discovers a grave. They dig it up, and they the episode ends with sort of bones being discovered. So we'll have to find out exactly where that's headed. But the center's awfully good. It's probably still on demand from the very beginning, depending on your cable service, DirecTV, whatever. I imagine it is. It's only been four episodes. I can't imagine USA would have pulled any of those down. Probably will be... The entire series will probably be available long after it's over on the on-demand service for USA, but it's definitely worth the time. This is the last weekend that we have without real college football. Obviously, Mayweather and McGregor is tomorrow night. This would be a great week for you to step out and watch those four hours of the center and get ready for the second half. Uh, I think starting next week, we'll start breaking it down for the final four episodes of the season or of the series, I guess. So... Catch up with that if you didn't do it. I asked you to do some homework. We talked about it a little bit broadly here. Didn't want to get two of the specifics. I gave away some things that happened, but hopefully it's enough to pique your interest, not ruin your interest. It's definitely something that you should take seriously, and I imagine Jessica Biel's probably going to get an Emmy nomination next year. Uh, definitely a Golden Globe nomination for her performance, and it's well-deserved. She's ex- just outstanding in this performance as Cora. So worth paying attention to is the center on USA. Another thing worth paying attention to is the deuce. George Pelicanos and David Simon, who you know from The Wire and Treme and Homicide Life on the Street, putting together this show that sort of details the rise of the porn industry in the late 70s, early 80s. It's going to be an HBO show. It's going to be gigantic. There's a little bit of a feel when you watch it that maybe this is Vinyl Part 2, but the difference here is, and look, Vinyl had some had some really talented people behind it, but David Simon's an, just a different animal altogether. Like, David Simon just does not do bad things in terms of drama. James Franco, executive producer, Maggie Gyllenhaal, it's got star power behind it, it's got a really unique premise in terms of, you know it's going to still be story of these characters and all of those things, but the backdrop, instead of being drugs this time, although I'm sure drugs will be involved, is this porn industry thing and the seedy side up in New York, and it's going to be very gritty, probably hard to watch at times, probably going to be very funny at times as well, but my guess is it's going to be great. And the reason I say my guess is because I haven't seen it yet, I'll be screening whatever they allow me to screen next week when the the actual situation where your critics can go in and look at stuff, that server's down right now, should be back up next week. So I'll have more on it then. But yesterday, this being Thursday, as I'm recording again on Friday morning, they announced that today they're going to drop the premiere episode of The Deuce on demand on HBO Go and on HBO Now. And that's globally. So if you're listening to this and you have HBO, The Deuce, the first episode of The Deuce, even though it premieres on September 10th, is available for you to watch 
via various streaming methods right now through HBO officially. This is an interesting move by them, but it's not necessarily unprecedented. Halt and Catch Fire, before the pilot episode of Season 1, they put that thing out about a week ahead of time, and they even put that thing on YouTube. And there have been other shows that have done this as well. It's a good way to generate buzz if you believe in the product. Halt and Catch Fire, it backfired because the pilot of Halt and Catch Fire, although I liked it, a lot of people didn't. So it sort of dulled the expectations. But if you believe in a property, and I certainly believe HBO is behind this one and does buy into what it can be, then you put it out there ahead of time, two weeks before that premiere, and you get people talking about it early. You get people tweeting about it. You get them on Facebook. You get them on Instagram. You get people at work telling everybody, hey, did you watch The Deuce? It's actually on HBO. You can actually watch that thing right now. People that haven't even heard of The Deuce all of a sudden know what The Deuce is, and they're hearing it from their friends who already have firsthand experience from having watched the premiere episode. So it's smart from that standpoint. Another reason I think it's timed well is September 10th coincides with the NFL. So it's going to be against tough competition. Now DVR means people will watch it on their own time and that's going to happen anyway. But you put it out now, you're not going against football. Right now, for the next week or so, you've got people that could actually go ahead and watch it and get on board with it before football takes over their brains. So it's timed well. And it's a property I believe in. Like I said, it could stink. Who knows? It could be one of the worst shows in the history of television. God knows we've been wrong about good and bad in the past. But David Simon has my trust in a way very few do. Matthew Weiner, uh, Vince Gilligan, Damon Lindelof. There are some that I just inherently trust. But perhaps at the top of that list is David Simon. His shows never were the highest rated shows, and they were largely ignored by award shows that went for the glitz. But The Wire is widely regarded by many as the best drama of all time. It ranked number four on my list, and that's because I also took enjoyment into it, and The Wire was hard to watch a lot of the time. But utterly brilliant series. Homicide Life in the Street, one of the best shows network television has ever put out. And Treme, criminally underrated about New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina. From multiple angles, a fantastic cast. A lot of them are people that you've seen in David Simon shows before. He's another one that reuses actors. Lindelof does that. Most people do that, quite frankly. When you get familiar with people, you're going to see them. You're going to see Hell in the Bottom Carter in just about every Tim Burton film, for obvious reasons. You're going to see a lot of Johnny Depp, at least in the past. So this happens. Christopher Nolan does it as well. Cillian Murphy's in a lot of his movies, for example. So maybe we're going to see some people that we know in the deuce, in addition to the bigger names like Joe and Hall and Franco. But I believe, I will be shocked if the deuce is not excellent. So next week we will review in detail the premiere episode of the deuce. And I will write about that first episode on outkick.com. It'll probably come out early next week. And then I'll do a full season or however much I've gotten to see of it, review preview right before the 10th when that premiere airs and the series is off and running. But put it on your radar, put it on your DVR now, put a season reminder up there, whatever it is that you need to do, you don't want to miss the deuce. I would be more than a little surprised if it's not good. Let's stay with HBO quickly and talk about Room 104. Jay and Mark Duplass, they've done Animals, they did Togetherness. You know Mark Duplass from The League, It's very intriguing because these guys do not think the way a lot of people in TV think. They are very unique and very out of the box in what they do. I know that phrase annoys the hell out of people, but it's accurate. They just don't think the same way. They are looking for something different. Animals, very different show. Now, I don't really watch it religiously because I kind of figured out what Animals was going to be. And I was like, all right, I like this, but I just don't have the time to watch everything. And maybe that's the case with Room 104 as well, but I've watched every every episode of Room 104 so far that's aired, the first four of the 12-episode season that is happening right now, Friday nights at 11.30 Eastern Time on HBO. But Room 104 might be one of the most simple yet brilliant concepts that we've seen in a while because it's just an American motel and all we see is Room 104. And it's an anthology series, different actors every week, storylines that don't have anything to do with each other. Maybe they could down the line, but my expectation is probably not. It's just, well, you know, who's checked into that room at this point in time? 
and what's happening with them. We don't see any. We don't see the hotel staff. We don't see anything else. We see room 104. We saw the bathroom for the first time in episode three, or inside the bathroom. It all takes place within that, and it's so different. The first episode was a babysitter arriving to, and it ended up almost being a horror, a horror movie. It's got a lot of Black Mirror in it, in terms of the way it's laid out. Obviously not about technology, the way Black Mirror is set up to be about tech, and Black Mirror being your screen, your device when it's turned off. It's a Black Mirror that you can actually look at yourself and see basically how your soul is being taken away by these devices and communication and things like that. Room 104 is totally different. First one was about, again, a babysitter and a horror, just a horrific child. Second episode, pizza delivery guy shows up and gets caught into a sexual game. And then there's a nice twist at the end of that. Third episode, some kind of spiritual healing taking place, almost like... I don't know if it's Hare Krishna or a little bit of Scientology or what it is, but it's like a self-help deal when it goes for like 30 minutes it takes place. Orlando Jones in that episode, Melanie Diaz in the first episode, James Vanderbeek in the second episode, and then the fourth one, a guy who has left his wife or vice versa, and he's in the hotel room and he starts seeing visions of the 21-year-old friend who died that he was unable to save, and he's that friend is the ghost of that friend basically is helping him get through this time while he's inside this hotel room solitary this show's weird folks it is really weird almost too weird for me quite frankly i loved the first two the first one was just funny even though it was sort of horror and suspense once it got going second episode was hilarious even though it was very uncomfortable third episode i didn't really care for but I think that's the way it's going to go. Like Some of them are going to work better than others for you. third one showed how off the wall and obscure they're willing to go with that self-healing deal. It was also the longest episode, which, as you know, usually long does not mean good. I think that's going to be the opposite in Game of Thrones. I think the 80 minutes is going to play to their advantage this week. But in general, it's not good. The first episode, I think, was 24. The second was 25. The third's 29 and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood. And then the... Fourth episode's like 27. So it's not that it's too long. It's just it's too long for the story they're trying to tell, even though the ending is pretty fascinating. But it's the idea that makes you care. And the reason I mentioned Jay and Mark Duplass is because you should start paying attention when you hear that they're doing something new. Because these guys are literally doing something new every time they put out a show. Togetherness was a little bit more on the... On the nose, you know, broken marriages and families and friendships and that stuff. Animals, an animated show about animals that takes things from a wildly different perspective. And Room 104 is just a brilliant idea. We're going to shoot everything in one hotel room. And everything that takes place is going to take place within the confines of that hotel room. We can tell horror there. We can tell suspense there. We can tell straight comedy there. We can tell potentially an action show there. Heavy drama like the fourth episode with the dead friend and going into the past and all that. There's a lot that you can execute here. So you got 12 episodes this season, four that have already aired and eight that are still to come. And yesterday, HBO revealed an official season two renewal. That came via a press release they sent to me yesterday morning along with the rest of the press. So you're going to get a lot of this. Maybe 24 episodes of it at least. It's a Friday night show, so it's in a low-risk spot. It's definitely risque in terms of, look, there's some nudity and some glorious nudity, quite frankly, in the second episode. Um, There is some blood. There's some stuff that's definitely a little unsettling. But it is, I think you should try it. I'll be curious. You can tweet me at jmartoutkick if you have seen it. If you have not, I would be curious to get your take. All of it's on demand. If you have HBO, you can obviously watch on HBO Go, but even through your cable service, they'll have all the episodes there for you take you two hours to watch what's aired so far radically different than anything i've seen in a long time and that's good whether or not it all works for me is irrelevant because it's an anthology series and if one episode doesn't work well it's not coming back neither of those characters at least for now so each episode has its own cast clark duke actually also in the second episode second one's my favorite so far second one was both funny and unsettling But Room 104 is so ballsy just as a concept that it's why we love TV and why I love to do this. 
because HBO and some of these networks do give you a chance to experiment, and the Duplass brothers are just paying it off by doing these different kinds of quirky things that aren't going to appeal maybe to a mass audience, but are really going to please a niche crowd. And in terms of Room 104, it's almost too weird for me, but not quite weird enough that I can't watch it. So I think it's in a pretty good sweet spot there. If you like stuff that is definitely off-kilter, Room 104 is wildly entertaining. So I would check that out for sure. And finally, now real comedy, but really well-done comedy. The Good Place hit Netflix this week. It made my top 10 on OutKick last year. Kristen Bell, Ted Danson, the two stars that you will certainly recognize the most from that show. But the reason why, this is how I'm going to lead off. Michael Schur created The Good Place. Who is Michael Schur? Mike Schur played Mose Schrute in The Office. What does that mean? Well, he played in the... He played in the show, but he also co-created the adaptation. Co-writer of some of the best seasons of The Office. He left The Office to create, along with Greg Daniels, the second best comedy, in my opinion, of my lifetime. The one that one that I've enjoyed the most, other than Seinfeld, is Parks and Recreation. He did that. After Parks and Recreation, he co-created, along with Dan Gore... Another show that I think is among the best comedies of this century, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is still on Fox. And then he went to The Good Place, back to NBC, premiered on September the 19th, 2016. Mike Schur has done a lot. This show might be the most inventive he's ever been. The Good Place is different. And, you know, I have some friends that are very religious, even maybe more so than me, in terms of how staunchly they adhere to, or maybe not adhere, but stick away from things they might consider to be blasphemous. But I tried to say, look, The Good Place is done from a different perspective. It's not blasphemous. Although The Good Place is definitely, it's not called heaven, but it sort of is heaven. Kristen Bell plays Eleanor Shellstrop, who dies, and the first episode of the series opens with her kind of in the waiting room of The Good Place, and the person in charge of The Good Place that designed it is Ted Danson's character. And basically, the hook of this entire story is that everybody that goes to The Good Place, it's sort of a rarity because you have to be really good to actually get to this level of good. And there are different good places that are done by different designers and things like that. So there's a little bit more depth to it. But Kristen Bell was a horrible human being. Now, she was treated badly and she had bad stuff happen to her and things like that. But she was a bad woman, selfish woman, the kind of woman that would push a homeless person instead of helping her. Or someone that would shove an old woman into traffic instead of assisting her across. She was selfish, mean, a drunk a malcontent, use foul language, all of that stuff. But somehow she got in the good place by mistake, and another Eleanor Shellstrop ended up in the bad place, which you can kind of figure out where that is. You know how bad the bad place is. They kind of tell you about it without going into too much detail. They let you hear screams at one point so that you know just how bad that place is. Eleanor knows very quickly she's in the wrong place, but she tries to keep this secret. Because she doesn't want to go to the bad place. She thinks maybe she can change her life. One thing that you meet in the good place is your soulmate, your true soulmate, who in general, most people did not meet within their life. Cheaty, played by William Jackson Harper, is the person chosen for Eleanor Shellstrop's actual soulmate. Of course, it's for the other Eleanor Shellstrop. So... This version of Eleanor that we see, Kristen Bell, ends up having to try and learn morality from him. And he was an ethics professor who was born in Nigeria and raised in Senegal. And he finds out about her secret. And she convinces him not to tell and says that she's going to try and become a better person, that she's getting a second chance. And so that becomes an issue. There's Tahani. That's Jamila Jamil. She was a philanthropist, beautiful woman. She's in the good place for all of the many things she did from a charity perspective. 
there's a robot kind of a the equivalent of her like spike jones film her almost but it's like having siri around it's darcy carden that actually plays her they call her janet she's just sort of a guide that gives away all the information there when you ask for her and things like that then you get jason mendoza john yu lee manny jacinto who's a buddhist monk and then there's michael and that's ted dance's character and he's the architect as i said that created the good place and that's where all these good people reside. But because Eleanor goes to the good place and shouldn't be there, all of the good changes. And you start seeing, like, you know, dogs go into the sky and vaporize and garbage falling from things. So everything starts to crack in the good place because she's there. And she starts to feel the guilt of being there when she shouldn't be there. And then, in a moment that I just couldn't believe, because we are taught as television viewers that the big secret comes out at the very end and you know if you're watching a long series it's so annoying that spider-man doesn't tell a secret for years and years and years or hundreds and hundreds of comics she actually reveals it to the entire community like very early in the series and then it becomes a different show where there's redemption involved or she has to make the choice whether to send herself to the bad place to save everyone else and all of the you know, conflict that would come from that kind of a moment. And this is a comedy. It's not one that's laugh out loud all the time, but it's awfully funny. And the reason, you know, as much as I liked it from the jump, like, the first couple of episodes maybe didn't really hook me as much, but you got about three, four in and it got really good. But the season finale ended on a twist and a moment that I should have seen coming, and as soon as you see it, you can then start to look back at everything that happened before it, and you'll call yourself a complete idiot for not seeing it coming. But it was brilliant. And, you know, I almost stood up in an empty room and applauded it. I was so impressed with that creative move. And it immediately made me sad that that was the end of the year, and I was praying it was going to get renewed, and it did. It was special narrative stuff from a story perspective you root for these people you do root for eleanor as she's trying to become a better person but the way that this show ended absolutely incredible it's going to have a second season of 13 episodes that's going to premiere on wednesday september the 20th with an hour-long premiere then it's going to move to thursday nights on september the 28th the following week Kristen bell is excellent ted danson is one of the best television actors in history and i'm not kidding you about that Becker was a show no one even thinks about, but was just epic. Obviously, Sam Malone and Cheers is one of the iconic television characters in sitcom history or television history, period. Even when he was Arthur Frobisher in Damages, Ted Danson is great at everything. He's great in Curb Your Enthusiasm with his wife, Mary. He's just made for TV. He's a great, great television actor, and he picks good roles. And this one may be the biggest leap he's ever made, but it's a good one. And... Again, another name, just like I mentioned the Duplass brothers, if you want to see things that are different, pay attention to what they're doing. Mike Schur does something, pay freaking attention to it. The Office, Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Good Place, all of these shows are excellent. But The Good Place is the ballsiest thing he's probably done because it is radically different. And it's a tough sell, honestly, because there's supernatural involved and there's you know monsters in The Good Place and... It's just, it's radically different. And I think maybe that's sort of the story here today of some of the things we've been talking about. You know, The Sinner is not really too different, but Jessica Beale's performance and some of the ways in which that story is has unfolded, I would suggest to you, a little bit different. The Deuce, look into the porn industry. That's something that hasn't really been done before. Room 104 is completely different than just about anything you've ever seen. The Good Place, super unique in the way it's approached, the way it's executed, and again, the finale, I'm telling you right now, even if you're not into it at first, stick with it, because once you get to that actual finale, and you see what I'm not going to reveal to you that I was just blown away and mesmerized by, it will all be worth it. And you'll immediately realize how good that actual entire six hours of your life was. It's sitting on Netflix easy as hell watch you'll laugh it's funny it's well done it's bright it's vibrant characters to get behind and get to know some you'll like better than others and that's by design 
Super performances. Good place. I can't say enough good things about it. Watch it, please. And we'll discuss the next season as it goes along. And I said six hours. That's not true because with NBC shows, it's about 22 minutes an episode. So really, it's more like a four-hour binge, four-and-a-half-hour binge. So there's really no excuse, in my opinion, why you should not run and watch that uh, this weekend. You watch those four Room 104 episodes and be caught up, and you can watch uh, The Center, and you can watch The Good Place, and all of a sudden you've seen three shows in the equivalent of like one 13-hour binge session of, an, of a Netflix show. And then you got three new things you can talk about. And that's what we do here on Now Kick the Coverage, and Now Kick the Culture as well, is expand your horizons. I want you to see and hear things that you haven't yet. I want you to experience entertainment that I've had a chance to see that maybe you haven't. Because in peak TV land, we all can't see everything. I have to know about everything, but I, you know, I'll still get tweets from you guys from time to time saying, what's your opinion on this? And I haven't seen it yet because I just haven't had time. Neither will you. So I'm going to cut through the BS and tell you what's good and what you should just pass on. And a good place is not one to pass on. Room 104 is one to check out and see whether or not you like it, whether or not it works for you. Black Mirror, which I referenced as something that you could, you know, has a little bit of Room 104 feel to it at times. Black Mirror is something worth your attention. Another thing on Netflix for you to watch, the original BBC series as well as the reboot that came out here in America last year. And there's going to be a new season of that coming as well. I saw Jesse Plemons on a kind of like Star Trek theme ad for the next season. Next week on this show, we talk BoJack Horseman season one and two. We'll talk about this week's episode of The Center. Uh, I guess next week's now. We'll talk about episode five, part five, I believe is actually what it's called, of The Center. And that'll leave us with three parts of that left. We'll actually go into the Deuce premiere, the first episode, and talk about that. A lot of Game of Thrones finale talk and what it means for the final season, of course. Looking back on seven pretty solid weeks of entertainment there. What happens? Danny and John actually copulate. We will discuss that as well. So, you know, we're getting to the fall premiere season. I've got a lot of pilots sitting at home that I need to watch. Stuff that, you know, The Gifted is one of them. A lot of the Fox stuff is there for me to watch right now that I need to watch so I can tell you what's good and what's not based on early returns. So there is a bunch coming down the pipe. You're the worst is coming back in about a week and a half. Everything's on its way back. We're getting to the fall. And, of course, football is starting. So pop culture is just absolutely exploding from everywhere. we got Taylor Swift with a new album coming out. Queens of the Stone Age put out Villains today. I've heard most of it, and I like it. It's not their best album, I don't think. But if you like Queens of the Stone Age, you're still going to like Villains, and I do. War on Drugs' new album came out today. Their last album, Lost in the Dream, one of the best albums probably of the decade, just in terms of start to finish. You can listen to all of it, and it's an experience. Have not heard the new one yet, so we'll talk about that one next week here. On this very show. Someday we're going to get to this David Fincher versus Christopher Nolan thing. I promise. It is our Matt Damon, Jimmy Kimmel on this show. It was asked like the second week that we did this show. And we just haven't gotten there yet. But I promise we are going to get there. It will happen. Next week. Maybe. Next week also... Narcos season three I'll tell you what I thought of it compare it to the first two seasons of that show coming up in a few weeks you want another something I would tell you to binge if you're a Harry Potter fan especially if you like magic if you like supernatural stuff but you like smart storytelling involving young people The Magicians which uh, airs on sci-fi I just pronounced that terribly The Magicians season two wrapped up I don't know four months ago Magicians is not for younger children. There's drugs, there's sex, there's some pretty nasty violence. It's Harry Potter for adults mixed with almost like a C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia feel at times, and then a horror show, and sometimes comedy, and it's all over the map, but The Magicians is excellent. Season one, I'm not sure season two is streaming yet, but the first of the two seasons that have aired is on Netflix. So I've given you a lot of things that you can go and watch that maybe you haven't yet. The Magicians is one. Room 104 is one. The Good Place is definitely one. I'd say watch that one first. That's my favorite. Uh, And The Magician's probably right there as well. Got The Deuce. First episode of The Deuce is happening. And, of course, BoJack is your real homework for this week because we're going to go into seasons one and two in depth. 
next week, plus the center is out there as well. So that's a lot of new stuff for you. A lot of people ask me, what what should I watch? What's new? I, I would need something for me and the wife. Well, there is a boatload of it right there for you. And that is why we do Outkick the Culture. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartoutkick. Sponsors, hit me up, jmartclone at gmail.com. I would love to try out and then pimp your product on this deal. Also, musicians out there. I got a couple of people that are you know sending me some potential but got to get a theme for this puppy so help me out in that way as well consider when you watch the game of thrones finale this week whether or not moments are allowed to breathe that's where i'm going to leave you you can't just hit the high notes every time the chorus comes after each verse the verse is a story the chorus is what you remember think about that as you watch the game of thrones finale this sunday along with 30 million other people we will discuss that in detail. Of course, on Monday's Outkick, the coverage radio program on Fox Sports Radio with Clay. He'll do his live reaction Periscope and Facebook live show as soon as the finale ends on Sunday night. And I will probably go into a lot of the details of this particular episode on Friday. Next week in print from me, Narcos Season 3 review. My take on the Game of Thrones season as a whole as it speaks to penultimate drama, not necessarily... Just an episode-by-episode recap. Clay does those weekly at Outkick.com. Also next week, I'm going to be shifting some things that I'm doing elsewhere and moving them all under one banner. So that's something to look forward to. That'll be news that I'll break at some point next week as well. Maybe a bonus review, movie review coming as well next week in print. So there's going to be a lot of writing for me, a lot of talking for me on Fox Sports Radio. Squared Circle Radio runs on Sunday morning here in Nashville, 104.5 The Zone, 104.5thezone.com, anywhere you are. You can listen to that. It was a two-hour SummerSlam NXT show last week. This week, it's the fallout from SummerSlam. So there's a ton. Plus, there's a fight tomorrow night. I guess it's a fight. Floyd Mayweather wins unless it's rigged, as far as I'm concerned. I'm just glad it's happening. I can't listen to the hype about it anymore. Let's just get to this... Chuck Wepner versus the Bear equivalent. Get it out of the way and then move on with the rest of our lives. But we're all probably going to be watching. I'm not paying 100 bucks, but I'm going to watch that fight. Probably at a sports bar. Probably with a bunch of other people. That's probably what you're going to do too. Right now, i got to eat breakfast. I'll talk to you guys next week. My name is Jason Martin. This has been Outkick the Culture. See ya. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.